Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. against you 
that I have set before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, once again, we thank you for another opportunity to host another episode of True Life Fridays Radio on here on True Radio Presents, Lord God. Father, we just ask for the wisdom and the words to drive the point home that we must choose life, for it's the very foundation of our existence. But, Lord, too many people are trying to put themselves in your position of picking and choosing who lives and who dies. So we ask you right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ to strengthen us, give us the wisdom and the words to drive home the point of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. We say we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for forgiveness of our sins. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there has been, as usual, so much that goes on that we could talk about, and we can only cherry pick a few stories for you to to comment on so that you can be up to date on what the pro-life view is, the true life view is, on the major earth-shattering and, well, really, life-changing news stories that are out there, things that actually do affect you, whether you realize it or not. I wish more people would realize it, but here we go. First is the good news, and then we're going to get to the the news that's not so good on the fronts that we're going to talk about, but, you know, they can be humorous too. Uh, but first, the very, very good news. Uh, today, the story... Actually, yesterday, the story came out that the Supreme Court has ruled, the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled that the Obama administration cannot make religious groups obey the pro-abortion mandate in the HHS, the HHS mandate in Obamacare. So that is very good news. What this means is that religious entities not just churches, not just certain religious schools, but businesses that are owned by Christians, Christian-owned religious charities and outfits, for instance, Catholic charities, for instance, a, a Wheaton College, for instance, Hobby Lobby, for instance, the Little Sisters of the Poor, cannot be forced by the HHS mandate in Obamacare to provide insurance that covers the cost of abortion. So let me read from uh, the LifeSite News, sorry, the Life News article directly. In an order issued last night, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito prevented the federal government from enforcing its contraceptive mandate against a range of Pennsylvania-based religious organizations, including Catholic charities and other Catholic schools and social service organizations connected with the Diocese of Erie and the Diocese of Pittsburgh. 
Um, According to the Beckett Fund, Justice Alito's order is similar to the preliminary order Justice Sotomayor provided to the Little Sisters of the Poor on New New Year's Eve in 2013. The group said order requires the government to brief the Supreme Court next week on why it should be allowed to fine these organizations for refusing to distribute abortion-inducing drugs and devices and other contraceptives. Lori Windham, senior counsel for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, told Life News, how many times must the government lose in court before it gets the message? For years now, the government has been claiming that places like Catholic Charities and the Little Sisters of the Poor are not religious employers worthy of an exemption. That argument has always been absurd. Agreed. Every time a religious plaintiff has gone to the Supreme Court for protection from the government's discriminatory practice, or I'm sorry, discriminatory mandate, the court has protected them. Thank God that's what happened to the Little Sisters of the Poor. Wheaton College, Notre Dame, and Hobby Lobby, Wyndham continued. The government really needs to give up on its illegal and unnecessary mandate. I I agree. I agree that the Supreme Court has ruled correctly on this because what doesn't spell freedom like mandating people to pay for someone else's sexual choices. Right. Right. And tools. Right. Let's just call them tools. Tools to prevent the natural consequences of sexual activity. I wonder sometimes if liberals wouldn't get it, or if I'm really just that naive, if liberals wouldn't get it, if the HHS mandate uh, included sex toys, and suddenly... Churches were uh, required to pay insurance that covers your elective choice of tools you want to use in the bedroom. Well, a tool in the bedroom and a tool in the bathroom, really not that much different when they're connected, uh, but in the family way. Let's just say that. So I have been, for the last four or five years now, wondering at what point will people finally understand that the Obama administration, when it wrote Obamacare, passed Obamacare, and sought to shove Obamacare down our throats, people realized that there is no constitutional, uh, no constitutionality to this. I don't know, maybe I'm just mind-numb at this point, thinking, because I've, I've watched too many videos of people not understanding how our our government works <laughs> and not understanding that well frighteningly not understanding what their rights are in this country anymore it is frightening to me how people will walk around and say they that others they never talk about themselves but it is their rights after all that other people like religious churches religious institutions churches religious schools charities, etc., don't have the right to, to live up to their beliefs, not knowing 
that any argument you make against these type of entities that are religious in nature are the same kind of rights you'd want for yourself. And when you say that nobody else, those people, that other guy, doesn't have a right to what you have, but you do, that you're being completely unconstitutional and inconsistent and what can be eliminated for the other guy can also be eliminated for you. Right. It frightens me that people don't realize that. Equal rights for everybody suddenly doesn't mean for everybody anymore. I, I don't know how people can't be conscious about that. That's just maybe it's one of the the realities we live in, mysteries of the universe. Never could figure out liberalism. I haven't in my lifetime been able to figure out liberalism. Maybe because there isn't anything to figure out, but I haven't figured it out, and maybe I never will. Uh, so you wanted to say something in particular about this and how it's it's uh, it's a great it's a great decision. Some good news for once. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. It just goes to show that um, Supreme Court doesn't always get it wrong. Thank God. And, yeah. Now, and they did screw up ruling the health care law constitutional, but, you know, they're idiots, but anyway. Well, here, here's the thing. Um, if anything has been so unbelievable, it's been the Supreme right. Court of the United States. Right. The makeup of it, and people are like, oh, you know, it's very balanced, conservatives and liberals. Okay, fine, it's balanced. What it means is that a flip of a coin could make probably better and more consistent decisions than the Supreme Court of the United States right now. So yesterday we found out they made a great decision preserving the religious liberty and the consciences of Catholic charities. Terrific. Next right. month or in the June in June we're going to find out how they're ruling on same sex marriage. What I'm saying is we might as well flip a coin and decide based on coin flipping how our laws are going to proceed uh because that's about as consistent as they're going to be as they are right now. Half of the time they deliver decent rulings the other half of the time you know i as a conservative christian fundamentalist some would say conservative christian would say what the heck are you doing right we have a lot of we have the supreme court has had a track record with key justices over the last 25 years of being completely schizophrenic They will rule one way on one thing, and they will completely reverse the principle of what they're voting on on another decision. I think uh, Kennedy was a great example of that, and Sandra Day O'Connor was another great example of that. Completely schizophrenic. Well, if the balance of ideology on the Supreme Court now, it is, it, it's, a, it's a coin toss. I think we would get 
I think maybe that's what they're doing. Let's just say they're going to in their chambers, getting together, tossing the quarter up and down, and <laughs> landing on the floor and seeing which way it, it, it lands. And if it lands right. a certain way, five justices are going to say, yeah, I'm going with that. And four of them will say, no, I'm going the other way. Uh-huh. It's uh, And I, I'm not trying to slam the Supreme Court justices themselves. I'm just saying with the makeup of it being what it is, it really is very unreliable. It's not a principled Supreme Court, even though there, I think there are very principled people on the Supreme Court. Just what it is and how polarizing things have, con- have gone has made their rulings extremely unreliable. Um, but anyway, I'm glad for this. I hope it sets precedent for future decisions that are related. I I want there to be as much stare decisis about Obamacare and mandating people, or actually the reversing of the mandate, as there is that people, when liberals like Diane Feinstein want to argue about abortion law and Roe v. Wade. You know, start sorry, decisis is only as uh, is only as fixed in the stars, pardon the pun, as five justices will allow it. But the argument as as it stands is that once the courts have decided something, follow up decisions will tend to will tend will will go along with previous decisions to be consistent. So now that Roe v. Wade was decided, is decided, you know, we've had 42 years of other Supreme Court decisions that will that tend to agree to uphold that, uphold that that in principle. You know, for completely different reasons. You know, abortion is legal for this reason or that reason, but they will uphold the re- outcome of Roe v. Wade. It's amazing. It's it's so inconsistent, but it's amazing because it is inconsistent. Well, moving on from praises to some fewer praises, things that you need to know. And this past week, the one of the biggest things talked about in the media was this little argument, you know, using the media as as media, funny enough, as a go-between between presidential candidate Rand Paul, GOP presidential candidate Rand Paul, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is the chairman of the Democratic National Committee. And he uh, did a very and, clever well, thing. Letitia, no. What? No. Yes, she's the, she's the, she is the chairman of the Democratic um, National Committee, party, whatever. But let me tell you what else she is. She is someone who's not very intelligent. I think the curls are wrapped too tight around her brain. <laughs> and she's always putting her foot in her mouth. And this is one lady just. If I was a woman, I would smack her so hard that she would she might start liking herself again 
Because well, I don't un- – first of all, hold on. Let me finish this last point, and then you okay, can – Okay, okay. And, and she's Jewish. I don't understand how she can hate the nation of Israel being Jewish. She's a self-hating Jewish woman. Well, we could go all know. day about that subject. We're not going to do that here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just wanted to take a pot shot at her. That's all. Sure. Well, go you know, ahead. we could go all all day, you know, all day. Let's go through. But, yeah. Well, yeah. You're but right. I, look at, I look at Debbie Wasserman Schultz as the, the gift that keeps on giving. As long as she keeps opening her mouth and talking, um, she is – She's been the greatest gift to conservatives uh, in in the political arena for since she's been Democrat, even before, even before she was DNC chair. Uh, I hope she has a long and uh, painful career as the party's uh, as DNC head, uh, because the more she says, the more the more material we have to work with. Right. I just want. And, and the beauty of this is, the, is how transparent she is while trying not to be transparent. I mean, the woman cannot lie worth a darn. Thank God. Because it allows us to pick her, her real brain. She does have one, but it's just operating in opposite land. Uh, but it, to, to analyze everything that she says, and it's, 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 she's easy. She is such low-hanging fruit, but this is what she said. Um, she's been having a quarrel through the media about how to handle the abortion question if, in the media. So we all know that the media loves to go after pro-life conservatives, and I, I use that word lightly when I talk about Rand Paul. Uh but he he claims to be pro-life, so I'm going to take that as face value for this conversation. The media likes to go after people who are pro-life conservatives because they have found, and we've said this before, that that is an Achilles heel topic. Because a lot of pro-life conservatives are not able to express their pro-life views in terms of policy well enough And that becomes blood in the water, and the media has this beautiful field day. They're so happy to ask pro-life questions to conservative pro-lifers because they tend to trip up sometimes, a lot. So I wasn't surprised at all when the media started going after Rand Paul right out of the gate. And he does something very unexpected, which I think is very clever. He deflected, and rightly so and said that he will answer questions about pro-life and abortion, blah, 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 after the media does its responsible part and asks W. Wasserman Schultz if she will approve of abortion on seven-pound babies in utero. Seven-pound babies. Now, seven-pound babies is a lot bigger than most babies born today at nine months. So it is no secret that what he was referring to was full-term, full-grown, nine-month-old children that are being born on the table but not yet having emerged from the uterus. Was Is it still okay to kill that baby in the room via abortion? 
go ask Debbie Wasserman Schultz that and then get back to me, is what he said. And I applaud him for that because it is about time that Republican pro-life candidates threw that ball into the Democrats' course because we know the media is never going to ask. They are never going to ask the Democrats to talk about abortion. As a Republican and as a policy-minded individual and wanting to see a candidate finally bring it to the media, I am glad he decided to bring it because they deserve it. <laughs> they deserve every every opportunity that a Republican candidate makes for making them hold the Democrat Party's feet to the fire. And so this is what this is what Wolf Blitzer asked Debbie Wasserman Schultz specifically about this conversation, and this is her response. But is he right when he says uh, that it's okay, from your perspective, to kill a seven-pound baby in uterus? Is that your position? Um, we have very different definitions of personal liberty. I made that clear in my response. The Democratic Party's position, we are pro-choice. We believe that a decision on a woman's reproductive choices is best left between a woman and her doctor. And I am still waiting for Rand Paul to say whether or not he supports exceptions when, when a woman is raped. Uh, are we going to force a woman to carry a baby to term and not allow her to make that choice? Are we going to, when, when she's the victim of rape, when she's the victim of incest, are we going to let a woman die? Would Rand Paul let a woman die uh, because she's carrying a baby? Uh, uh, or is she going to let her make that choice with her doctor? We're still waiting on that, but Rand Paul's first day out of the gate as a candidate for president was spent not talking about the issues that matter the most to Americans, the economy, jobs, and helping us help people reach the middle class. Uh, <laughs> did you hear that? Right out of the gate, he is the first thing he's going to talk about is not about the economy and how to help the... You know what? The only... Re- I, I mean, this is how they try to inflict collective amnesia on America, ladies and gentlemen. Let us not forget that Rand Paul was asked a question to comment about his views on abortion. He was answering a question, and he punted to her as he should have, and noticed that she can't take it. But what does she say? So, you know, this, take this argument between Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Rand Paul, and she tells Rand Paul on, on Wolf Blitz show and the media, she tells the media, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Right, don't, don't look at me like that. <laughs> Are you making a face right. at me, Thomas? Yeah, how can you get <laughs> And that is what she said. And that's what she said before. And that's what she said again on Wolf Blitzer. When it comes to abortion, specifically, she has said, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Right. That is her answer. Let's let's decode all this, oh, we have different definitions of what it means to be yada, yada, yada. If you think that the Democratic National Committee's platform does not support abortion through nine months of pregnancy, I show you, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, 
and ask you to let her show you the way because she is the party spokesperson and she is showing the country this is the Democratic Party's position. So I don't want to hear anybody tell me, oh, this is just one person. She's And, you know, her own slight was saying, I'm not running for any office. I can say this. I can blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. You don't have, she doesn't have to make a politically correct answer on this. No, she didn't. Um, Who does so it? Let's, what? Who was it that replied? No, I mean, before that. Oh, she had said that she's not running for office. She's not oh. running for president. She's not running for president, so she can be completely candid about her position on abortion. And thankfully, I think she was. And this is what it means. So, I, you know, decoding it for you, America, because this, this is let's not let's not fall for the magic tricks of the DNC. Abortion. For all nine months of pregnancy, yes, the seven-pound baby. Why yes? Because she didn't say no, and she even outlined that abortion is up to the woman and her doctor. Well, if the woman and her doctor decide at nine months of pregnancy to abort, she says she's okay with that. And that's her answer. And so, you know, just under, so we're not, uh, why do I bring this up? So that people are not under any illusions about the DNC. The party of death is still the party of death. And you want to show, I'll, let me show you another example. And, and this is the story I told you about earlier, Thomas. It is California, the state of California. Oh, you yeah, we're gonna... let, let me add that one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. Let me well, get on. It's a, Go ahead. A bill, a bill in California right now is being it's it passed through committee. So let me tell you exactly where this what stage we're at here. California State Assembly Bill 775 has passed out of committee with a, a yes vote by all Democrats and the bill is, re- is named the Reproductive Fact Act. Now, remember what I said last week. All names on all these types of bills mean the opposite of what they are named. So when you think Reproductive Fact, now we're talking Reproductive Fiction Act. What it requires, uh, uh, pregnancy, pregnancy Resource Centers, PRCs or PCPs, um, pre- pregnancy centers in the state of California. This bill would require them to refer women to abortions as one of their options. Basically, it would force pregnancy centers to advertise for abortion clinics. It would require all pregnancy centers to promote abortions to their clients because I'm pretty sure it would stipulate you can't say anything negative about it. It would have to be an option. Put your hand in the candy jar, pick out an option. There is no conscience clause in this act, no opt-out option. Um, 
failure to comply carries a $500 fine for the first offense, $1,000 fine for each subsequent offense. And the bill authorizes the attorney general, the city attorney, or county council to impose the civil fines. You know, your local, your local government can impose these fines. Okay, so that's what has passed out of committee in the California state legislature. It will come up before a general vote. I don't know exactly when. But... Uh, it, 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 what will it? What it'll do is is hogtie a lot of pregnancy centers. It, it basically it flouts the whole purpose of pregnancy centers. So what? So tell me, Thomas, what have you been say? What kind of comments have you been saving up for this story? To any pro-choice individuals who may listen, who may be lurking in the backgrounds in our show. That bill that has been proposed by California systematically destroys your argument for choice. See, let me tell you something. You have never been about choice, always been about what's convenient to you. Well, let me tell you something. Every pro-choice person, man, woman, I hope you're fixed or I hope you're lesbians because this is how I look at it. You have such an aversion, uh, such a desire for killing babies. How about you go first? Oops, if you accidentally, accidentally mess up, as you like to say, make a mistake. Never mind the fact that no beautiful baby is a mistake, but in your warped, twisted mind, you care more about a dog or a cat than a human being. And that tells me how sick and twisted. And as far as I'm concerned, for everyone who likes to talk about how California is this and California is that, California is a cesspool of filth full of a bunch of hateful, murderous people who think they are much better than everybody else. So this is what I propose. You want to kill babies so much? You want afterbirth abortions? Start with your families. Start with your own children. Oh, that's right. No, you're not going to make that choice. So this is what I say to you. Shut your mouth. Quit trying to force your views on everybody else because at the end of the day, you always talk about, oh, you need to play nice. 
But if you want to keep pushing stuff like this, the mirror is going to be pointed at you. And let me tell you something, white, liberal, Democrat, congressmen and women, and I include the Congressional Black Caucus in there, Mia Love not included, y'all part of the same cesspool. You're racist. All of you. You like to brag about, oh, I think I have one black friend. And for those of you who clamor that it's in the best interest of poor minority women to get abortions when they're pregnant, I'm going to tell you something, point blank. You are the one who are the racist. Mm -hmm. It's not conservative Republicans. Yeah, at least we have enough courage and fortitude to call out our own when we do something. We don't destroy our own. Well, some do, but we try to correct them. You all, you just destroy your own. Or in some cases, as in the case of Ron Brown, Agriculture Secretary, black man, Clinton administration, mysteriously killed in a plane crash. Never mind the fact that the body was found with a bullet hole in its head. You Democrats really think people are stupid. But I'm going to tell you this, and I'll end my commentary with this. You can deny the existence of God all you want. But one thing you better remember, you all call it karma. I call it what the Bible calls it. You will reap everything that you sow, whether it's in this life or in the life to come. So you have a choice. You can choose to repent and get on the right side of history or keep doing what you're doing and see where you end up. Because God is very serious when it comes to the lives of children. Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. chapter 30, verse 19, and I said it at the beginning of the show, and I'll say it again. As As God said to the nation of Israel, I have set before you, I have held called before you this day where I have set before you blessing, life, death, blessing, and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Take it away, Letitia, because I'm I'm very pissed off. <laughs> well, thank article. you. Well, that is that from the heart, ladies and gentlemen. This is how the horrors that we that we live with today. I mean, we we live in a civilized society, but we live in a civilized barbarism. We talk about abortion 
um, because in a behind microphones and TV screens and on and we talk about abortion and we don't see the blood and we don't see the gore and we don't see the body parts. That's why I love ministries and love projects like the Genesis, uh, sorry, Genocide Awareness Project and Justice for All. We do the, these gigantic billboard displays, educating people, showing people exactly what abortion is. Because we talk about abortion like it's some sanitized uh, procedure, no different from removing an appendix. And people are being told that an abortion is no different than removing an appendix. We're going to get to that analogy and then some. But first I want to finish this by talking about um, how we talk about this, but the reality is that if we, if if abortions were done out in the open, our bloods would be red. I mean, I'm sorry, our streets would be red with the blood of the unborn. And I want you to keep that visual in mind as you imagine these abortion defenders writing laws, telling abortion, um, telling pregnancy centers that they have to refer women to abortion clinics as one of their options, as if we don't know it already, as one of their options, that they are forcing people against their conscience to say that it's okay for women to abort their children, forcing people to say things. When, when, now remember what happened last year, when these same abortion defenders got extremely vocal, extremely screechy, and rejecting a bill that requires abortion clinics to perform ultrasounds on women who seek abortion. Think about that one. They expressed moral outrage when some abortion clinics were required to perform ultrasounds on women to determine exactly if they were pregnant and how far along they were. And what did they call that procedure when they were required to do it and have an ultrasound? Called it rape. Now let's turn the tables. If it is rape to require abortion clinics to provide ultrasounds to women seeking abortion counseling of some kind, it is just as much murder for pregnancy centers to be required to recommend women go to abortion clinics when that is completely opposite to their very reason for being. The hypocrisy knows no end, ladies and gentlemen. The hypocrisy knows no end. Everything's fine and dandy when you're making the pro-life people do something they're morally opposed to. But it's rape 
when the law is not in your favor. I'm sorry, these people are, I just can't take them seriously on one level. I just can't. Except for the fact that babies are dying, that part is very serious. These people I can't take seriously. They will try every dirty trick in the book, every lie, every Hippocratic move, and, and every sleight of hand to try to change the narrative, just like what Debbie Wasserman Schultz did. She changed the whole the, – the, she tried to change the whole reason she was being asked on television, asked about aborting seven-pound babies. And she turned it around and said, oh, why doesn't Rand Paul talk about the economy in the middle class? <laughs> I'm not going to retread that discussion, but it is more ridiculous. I mean, it's more of the same. More of the same, ladies and gentlemen. It's more ridiculousness. Okay. Um, we have to get to our uh, replaying our wonderful Star Parker interview. It's going to be uh, it was such a breath of fresh air. Let me tell you, listening to her voice on our our radio network and talking about her story and talking about her coming to terms with the fact that she had had abortions and she needed to repent of the mindset that drove her to have an abortion and not just that, just to indict. Those who would push women to making the, this type of choice, telling them that it's all going to work out well for you, um, when there is no, there is no guarantee that abortion is going to do anything that people say it's going to do for you, for women, and that women have to come to terms with the fact that hey, we are moms, we are mothers, we are biologically active, strong women, we can take care of what comes to us, we don't need to kill the next generation for our own sakes. And that's it in a nutshell. That's that's my message. You know, that for a long time, my message for America and American women. Let's let Star Parker tell you that in her own words. And, uh, you know, she's just an, uh, just an awesome guest because she really knows how to nail it down to the core of the core of what what um what women need to hear and ever anybody that finds themselves in our socioeconomic status of being poor uh dependent on the government and being told that they need to destroy their children in order to have a successful life so listen to star parker and we're going to get to another headline after that uh, if i forget please remind me thomas <laughs> before we bring star on let me let me share a little bit about this woman um at the beginning of the show i played the song um still i rise by yolanda adams because it's so it's so that song really exemplifies star's testimony where she came from to where she's at and when you hear her speak she speaks with passion, sincerity, and genuineness because she's care. She cares. Times, we have a lot of people in a grassroots activism who jump on board maybe because it's the trendy thing to do. Star Go do that. has been there, done that. So she speaks with experience. So, True Life Fridays Radio, 
we are honored and privileged to have Star Parker, founder and president of Urban Cure, joining us today. Star, how are you today? I'm doing very well, and what a humbling uh, introduction. Thanks for having me with you, and sorry for the phone troubles to try to get in. Well, we apologize. I, uh, I, I so that. appreciate what you said, uh, even about um, that this is not academic for me. Um, you know, we are talking about life and death. We're talking about good versus evil, and, and, and we're talking about the Lord. And, um, you know, as you know my story, uh, listening to the lie of the left, just believing that my problems were someone else's fault, that, that the poor were poor because the wealthy are wealthy, that America was so inherently racist that I was not even going to have a fighting chance. And in listening to those lies year in and year out, I got distracted and um, ended up um, very reckless in criminal activity and drug activity and sexual activity. And I was listening mm-hmm. to the story before I came on about the women that got caught up in have an abortion. I'd been there, done that. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until after the fourth time that I went into one of their so-called safe, legal, rare clinics that I had a gut instinct way down deep inside that just has to be something wrong with killing your offspring. I know the feminists say that there's not. I know that everybody that represents the left says that there's not. And I'm so glad that people like Grandpa are saying, well, let, let, let's discuss that seven-pound baby still in the womb. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, I believed all of that. And then uh, still pregnant again and not married, I uh, had the child and ended up on welfare, seven years in and out, three and a half years consistently watching my life go into a little dark hole. That's where God mm. found me. But yeah, that's where he saw me. And I'm telling you, this is not academic. You're absolutely right. This is not about talking head. This is not about political activism. This is not about um, uh, scoring, uh, you know, red team versus blue team. This is about people's lives. Right. And um, and so I really appreciate uh Thomas, you introducing me that way, and I just wanted to say why. Well, and Star, that is so on point because I, long time before I even met you in Washington, I observed and I watched, watched your life, read and saw your testimony, and I was like, who, who is this? You know, and it, <laughs> and it so amazed me because I'm like. I didn't know I didn't know other black conservatives existed. I mean, it it was like, okay, we're real. And the thing <laughs> and the thing about you star and you you kinda shared you kinda shared the main point of your life, but I want to transition over into actually what's going on today because you can really speak to this more so than anything, and we may um, we may run in a few minutes into archives, but people will still be able to listen, hear everything of the interview. But I want you to address something, because you being a part of the media, um, appearing on Fox News, writing for um, sometimes writing for I believe WorldNet Daily. And, and yeah, any other creators now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The news. No, you're, well, you're absolutely right. I, in a nutshell, in a limited amount of time, you're you're right. I'm on a mission, and the reason I'm on that mission is because we've been in cultural war. Three cultural wars right. have are destroying every major institution in our society. That war on religion that scrubbed our schools 
of any ideas of God. Just scrub the Bible out of it. It was the same time 50 years ago that we had a war on marriage where we were convinced right. that women uh, didn't have to control their sexual impulses inside of a marriage, that we wanted freedom, if you will. We own ourselves, if you will, uh, and threw away right. all traditional norms and sent us into a culture of meaninglessness. And then that war on poverty that says, and if there are any natural consequences to these decisions you are now making outside of marriage, we now have safety nets. So we start paying people to have children out of marriage. And five years after King's death, we have Roe v. Wade as national law. Yeah, God saved me. He got me cleaned up. And he was so merciful and consistent to his scripture, so compassionate that if I gave, he would give to me. If I tithe, he would make meaning for my life financially. And I became what a lot of people are as a comfortable Christian. And one day he said, this is enough. you got to get up and join the cultural war. And I had got in the cultural war because I, the recklessness, the, the life pattern that he had saved me from, so many more were still in it. And I just needed them to have freedom. I had found freedom. I wanted them to be free. So I moved to Washington. I moved my business to Washington to remove governmental barriers, uh, the way we fight poverty. I want them out of the welfare state. Charity belongs to the church. It doesn't belong in Washington, D.C. Mm. Government is to protect our interests, not to plunder our interests, not to pursue yeah. us, to plunder our interests, to pay people to be irresponsible. So that's why I'm warring here in Washington. You're absolutely right. I run a think tank, uh, urbancure.org. Uh, we are, we, and our mission is very focused. That we are going to make sure that people understand the answer to poverty is freedom and personal responsibility. It's not a welfare state, and we're going to help reverse those the trends of those three cultural wars. You do know you just opened up a can of worms, right? And what you <laughs> and what you just said right there, because it was you, and and I am so proud. And Letitia has a question that leads right up to what she just said. You stood with a brave group of black pastors when that um, college, Baptist college dean invited a uh, lesbian bishop to speak at the commencement of their school. You held a, um, a press conference coming out against that. So what, what we want to uh, ask you about, and Letitia's going to follow up with your thoughts on pastors and the abortion issue. How do you, how do, how do we deal with the pastors? And I'm talking black pastors who basically have made the decision to bury their head in the sand when it comes to the issue of homosexuality and abortion within our community? Very gently. I'm very graciously and very privately. Because what has happened with these pastors, in my opinion, and some think you're letting them off the hook. No, what has happened is they've been overwhelmed by these cultural wars that have been raging in our society, and they didn't even know they were occurring. And now they're raging, and it's very difficult to get ourselves from under it. Number one, abortion. You're asking about abortion. Well, abortion became national law in uh, in 1973, and yep. you know, 30 30 years later, we were looking at the black community had annihilated 13 million. Now, 43 years later, the numbers are worse. So that means abortion touches absolutely every member of their church. That means that the first order of business now has to be reconciling the abortion in their own lives. I've had pastor after pastor after pastor have to confide that, my gosh, before God saved me, I aborted. I've had pastor wife after pastor wife after pastor wife say, my God, I had aborted. So until they themselves are healed, 
it's hard to ask them right. to get into the culture war and help us heal others. So that's the first step. The second step, you say, on the homosexual marriage, the society collapsed a long time ago by forcing our children into government cesspools we call schools. When you turn your children over to a secular government to educate them, you have a different product at the end. They get church life on Monday and Wednesday, maybe, if they come to Bible study on Wednesday night. And then Monday through Friday, you send those children into a secular uh, environment and let them educate them with that worldview. So that has been happening over the last 50 years. So we have now three generations of young people who decide that they don't want to believe the Bible that way. And that's how then you end up with not just lesbian bishops. That woman that went down there to speak at American Baptist College was an American bishop lesbian married. She was married in the state of California to a lesbian a lover who was produced out of the church uh, mm-hmm. as well, uh, and, and our ministers, wow. uh, according to themselves, who then came and preached in a state for a Baptist college that marriage is, homosexual marriage is not even legal. These are the questions that are deep now in in front of us, in front of that pastoral community, and they and things can't go on anymore like this. We're in that critical cross point, similar to the 1850s, when Abraham Lincoln had to look in Scripture and say, oh, my Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. And he looked up and right. said, we can't do this anymore, guys. <laughs> a house divided against itself can't stand. We have to make a decision. We're going to either be all slave or all free. We can't be both anymore. And that's where we are today. We're in a cultural war that is now forcing the church to say, are you going to be, as an American people, biblical and free? Or are you going to be secular and status? Meaning that the state supplants the church. It can't coexist. Light and dark cannot stay in the same space at the same time. You're going to be light or you're going to be dark. Those are the choices. So, yes, the pastoral world, oh, yeah, they need privacy. They need to understand mm. what time it is. They don't have much time to find out, but we need to now equip them. The same way that when our soldiers had to go to war against a new type of terrorist, they had to be equipped. They couldn't do war the same way we used to do war because the enemy doesn't play like that. There's no fairness in them. Mm-hmm. You can't have rules of engagement for war. So what we are at is at a point uh, similar to uh, Elijah, when he felt alone. Those of us activists have been a long time. It says, where are my 7,000, Lord? I can't be alone. And we find our Elijah. Mm-hmm. We're at the place where we're finding Gideon's army. We're at the place where we have to go in the community and say, as Nehemiah had to say, do you see the state of affairs we're in? Are you going to help build and give them opportunities to say yes and amen? No, the church is ignorant in this. And they have to go through kindergarten, uh, uh, through through high school and college in very, very little time. You know why? Because homosexual marriage is at the Supreme Court. They argue it this month, and they make a decision in June. And right. in June, we will know what America we're going to be. If we're going to be biblical and free, then he's going to have mercy on us for a minute, and that means that we're going to be looking at riots because this group mm-hmm. of activists, the LGBTQs, don't take no lightly. So they will be rioting. They are, they're like two-year-old children that will terrorize a household just because you said no one time for one toy after you bought them the whole Toys R Us store. That's where we are. Or he's going to say, nope, time for the church to be the persecuted church. Go under. You've taken uh, enough time in this materialism, and i got some lessons to teach you the same way I had to do to my children of Israel years and years ago in that Bible that mm. you better dust off real quickly. Because if we have to go underground, do you understand what's at stake if they come up and say homosexual marriage is the law of the land? Every document in this society has to be rewritten. Every document yeah. in this city that I live in, everything at HUD, everything at HHS, everything at, uh, at, at labor, everything at every place, everything at the IRS, everything at Social Security, everything everywhere in society, everything at our foster system. Don't forget we have 500,000 kids there. 
everything right. because we define marriage traditionally. We have to now rewrite all of the law, every single area from education, including marriage certificates, burial certificates, birth certificates, because there are none of them are gender neutral. Nothing we've done in the history of this country is gender neutral. We understood in our founding what God said in Genesis, that I created the male and female, and for this cause a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will be one. That's how you generate a society that's healthy, and it's under attack. So, yeah, long answer to your short question, but the church, yeah, these pastors, i tell you, it's time for them to rally together very privately and, 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 and get on their face before God and, and, and come up soldiers, men ready for war, because that's what we're in. Go ahead, Leticia. Okay. Well, I w- we were asking you on the show to tell us a little bit about your personal story. And really quick in the nutshell, I know that you do this a lot often, but, you know, how how did you come from when you were young to this point here? And specifically, since this is True Life Fridays radio specific, did abortion enable you to pursue the good life the pro-abortion advocates say you wouldn't be possible without a with a baby in your life. Had I taken seriously that first pregnancy that um that I had, um, would my life be different from it is today? Yes. Would I be mm-hmm. have made some of the same decisions that I've made as a result of that? Well let's see what were some of those decisions. Abort again, more drugs, more chaos, more reckless living, more um uh, uh um you name it. And then end mm-hmm. up in just a disaster. Uh, could I have avoided disaster? Hindsight, they say, is 2020. Uh, is abortion a good idea regardless of what we think outcomes should be? Um, no, it's not. It's legal, but it's not lawful in God's eyes. And to get to the point where you're killing your offspring for your own economic or emotional well-being should be judged as sin in your life, and we should repent and make sure that we uh, um, uh, individually uh, get on God's page when it comes to what he calls his reward as a nation in abortion. The same way mm-hmm. that crime against humanity that we call slavery, that now everybody looks at and says, oh, God, it was unthinkable. Well, that's where we are on the same question. Is this a crime against humanity? It's legal, but it's not lawful before God, and it's a crime against humanity. And as a society, we need to rid ourselves of this horrible, mm-hmm. horrible sin so that we can be healthy again. Um, my so are you saying no, – my... oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, did you – My childhood was different, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. So are you saying – are you saying to us here that all the promises that pro-abortion advocates have told you, that you would have a good life, that you would um, be able to be successful, that you could not do things with the child in your life, that actually what resulted was was a spiraling into more of the same, not out of it, and not better? Some people uh, yeah, will say that, well, my life changed for the worse. Uh, others will, say, will try to convince themselves that, um, uh, no, actually, uh, I think back on my life, and, it, and it's challenging, but where would I be where I am today? I, You know, these are questions that are very personal and private to the individual who, who committed an act of abortion and or mm-hmm. was thinking about it and th- didn't do it and now looks at that kid every time they, you know, give you a headache and say, should I have had you? Uh, these are very intimate and personal questions, uh, and we don't know the answer. You can't go back in your life and say, what if I had taken this track and said, what we do know mm-hmm. is that it is a unique individual 
that God has blessed in that womb that if we do not interrupt his process can make some unique contributions. We have Beethoven uh, to look at as an example. We have Steve Jobs to look at as an example of people that were right. born in crises. Um, so, yes, I am saying that the, the, the left lies on this matter. Uh, those specific lies, uh, yeah, we can counter and we can go back and forth and debate about each one and decide who would have been happier here. And they can bring out people that say, well, now if I had a baby I was running around with right now, my life would be better. No, at the end of the day, the question is, is this humanity and are mm-hmm. we interrupting it? At the end of the day, it's like we can, all of this fallacy and all of these discussions and all of this debate and all of this wandering is, um, gets us right down to the fundamental question. Is it, is it life? Mm-hmm. If it is, do we have a right to kill it? That's why I like, as I said earlier, this question that now we're on the offense. We're probably yes. on the offense to say, no, I want to ask you about that seven-pound baby. Because let's not forget Kermit Gosnell. Let's not let society just dismiss Kermit Gosnell, the late-term abortionist up in Philadelphia that was doing legal abortions, if you will, mm-hmm. being referred to from abortionists all over this country who not only allowed for the baby to be born, but then after it was born would mock the baby that it could run around to the bus stop and then snap its neck. Right. Let's, let's remember that he killed 16,000 babies in that clinic. Let's think about the, the maiming, the murder, the molestation that's going on with these women. Let's think about how many of them are dying at the hand of these abortionists. Let's think about the right. secret sin that women are bearing all alone because they, because they went in, they got convinced by society there's nothing wrong with this, and then they leave out the back door empty. Now, we should be mm-hmm. very, very motivated to end abortion uh, in our generation. And make yes. it not only illegal, but unthinkable. Like right. the that no more says. So, the, so much of the abortion advertising has been targeted to, to young women. What message do you have specifically for young women today? I know that you speak to you know everybody, and to try to lift people out of poverty without the aid of of government dependency. But what message do you have specifically for young women today in this situation, in their lives, growing up, so they don't have to experience? Um, and learn as you did. We want to save well, the the, um, the the one thing that someone told me early on in my Christian life, and I'm thankful to today that they told me this. I might not know till heaven who exactly it was uh, after getting saved. Is that God wrote 31 proverbs on purpose? Mm. There are 31 days, and He wrote 31 in a month, and He wrote 31 proverbs. So get up and read a proverb a day, and they'll know how to live. You, that is the instruction on how to live, and. Um, uh, if you make mistakes, he gave us Jesus Christ. He, he gave us Jesus Christ so that we can get up the next day and start again. That moment, you can start again. He gave us, uh, he became the perpetuation for our sin, as the scripture says. But remember what James said, if we say we haven't sinned, well, it was actually John, then we deceive ourselves and we make him a lie. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive, forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that's what I would tell a young person. Don't get to the point where you say you haven't sinned because you deceive yourself and you make God a liar. Are you really ready to look in God's face and say you're lying? Mm. But if you confess your sin, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness, number one. Number two, I would tell these young people, wait. There's nothing wrong with waiting. See, one of the things that we've done through the feminist movement is post, told women to postpone marriage. Do not marry at young age. But they can't postpone sexuality. The time clock for society is in a woman's body. Mm-hmm. So every month she's told that she is supposed to be sexually active so she can continue society. So why would you want her to postpone those urges? Why would you? Yeah, if women will wait and men will work, um, yeah, we, would, we could heal ourselves. 
Mm. Because marriage is the social stabilizer. Marriage between one woman, one man, who together build a life and put values, eternal truths inside of their offspring. So, yeah, I would just convince the young women of those two things. Read a proverb a day so you'll know how to live. And um, and then wait. Just wait on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord, and he will bless your life accordingly. Amen. Wow. I can't, I, I can't, I can't top that. Thomas? <laughs> wow, that's, and see, Star, that's, that's what, um, that's what really endears you to so many people, despite um, what you what you have dealt with, what you have faced from from the community. You know, you you're you're like you're like that person who have dug who has dug their feet in the sand, and you said, you know what, standing on the word of God, no matter. What the enemy throws at you, start you you stand firm, and um, and you know let let me interject something here because I've got to run, and it's not only that I'm not patting myself with back. It's because I God is true and I'm a liar. I may stand firm, but I'm standing firm sometimes in rebellion myself. There's sometimes that I have to say, oh my God, I can't believe I got tripped up in that one again. No, this is about life and death. This is about what the Lord said. I put before you choices. Here's what freedom means. Here's what makes us different from the animals. You've got life and good, death and evil, and I've given you the ability to choose. So we have to take that seriously. And if we're going to live a civil society, if we're going to in the public square where our lives do touch, we want to be civilized to one another, then we have to take very seriously uh, public policy and public space and, um, and, and, a, and a world view that allows for men to live at peace. So, yeah, I, I take this very seriously. I ca- joke with my Catholic friends that I'm doing penitentiary, so I have a long call uh, <laughs> to get in and, and then continue my work. But I've got to go, and, and, and I really appreciate this opportunity. But, yeah, I, we, we all have a role to be faithful, and I'm glad that you guys are doing your role uh, to be faithful, to get the message out there, uh, because people need to know that freedom is available to them. And that freedom, at the end of the day, boils down to freedom to serve and bless our God. Amen. Thank you so much for coming on our program. I sure appreciated your time. And please, come back again. I will. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, that was Star Parker. Um, what an awesome guest she was. And I do hope she will come back on another time for another great interview. Um, we're going to take a quick break And we're going to come back with a couple more headlines and the stupidest thing ever. I wanted to tell you (laughs) that uh, we lack for no ever, uh, but everything is meant in -in tongue-in-cheek. I hope uh, you guys realize that everything is up for a stupidest thing ever. It doesn't have to be a True Life Friday-specific topic, but, you know, I may come after you one day, liberal, because you're a lot of fun that way.
Hi, everybody. You're tuned to True Life Fridays with Letitia Wong and friends. Don't miss out. Today's great episode is brought to you in part by Lifeboat Coffee. 10% of your purchase at LifeboatCoffee.com will go directly to support True Life Fridays. Just remember to name True Life Fridays when you check out on the web. Hi, everybody. I'm John Lillis, founder and president of Lifeboat Coffee, America's pro-life coffee company. We support True Life Fridays, and we hope you will, too. True Life Fridays will be right back. Don't go away. Everybody to True Life Fridays Radio. I am your host, Letitia Wong, and I am on air with Thomas Smith. And I have a super fabulous story from our most favorite tampon earring lady in the world. That wonderful gift to humanity, Melissa Harris Perry, speaking in an interview uh, that I'm going to read part of to you. A doctor, an abortion doctor, actually, uh, in medical school, who is who is the head of, of Physicians for Reproductive Health, Ann Davis, Dr. Ann Davis. Uh, Davis uh, Dr. Davis serves as the Columbia University Medical Center Associate Professor. She's also a contributor at the pro-abortion site RH Reality Check, which we have quoted from. Uh, in the previous in previous shows, uh, known for their running articles like "I Love Abortion," "Why Women Ought to Love Abortion Too." Uh, no, the, the first part of that, the first part of that was accurate, but the "Why I Love Abortion," "Why You Should Love Abortion Too," was the reason why "I Love Abortion" was supposed to be written. And this is what she had to say about medical students that are in school right now and needing and trying to mandate that they should be mandated to learn how to perform and commit abortions. So during uh, during an interview on MSNBC, Melissa Harris-Perry questioned Dr. Davis on a, an upcoming North Carolina bill that would prohibit a, a medical students from being taught how to, to commit abortions. And so now their position is, no, 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 medical students need to learn how to do abortions. They just need to. And, in fact, it's not just a need for them to be able to do abortions. It is 
they call it a core skill, uh, much like knowing how to set a bone, maybe, or knowing how to use a tongue depressor, or knowing how to look in patients' ears and noses and eyes and, and uh, look in their throats, feeling for, uh, feeling for abnormal, listening in a stethoscope, core, basic core skill. So this is their reaction to the upcoming North Carolina House Bill 465 that would prevent state medical schools from supervising the performance of abortions or teaching students how to do abortion. So what do they say about it? Oh, oh, okay. Davis, Dr. Davis says the unfortunate turn of events um, in the state legislature is uh, – is lamentable for her because she says abortion is a core fundamental skill that we teach our residents. Um, She says, my professors taught me, I teach my residents. It's really a core, again, that word, core part of the curriculum. So to say that we can't teach core skills to residents and students is really disturbing. Melissa Harris Perry parroted all that and added, help people understand why it's a core skill, why it's important for physicians to know it. And her answer from Dr. Davis is, oh, it's because abortion is very, very common. 1.8 million a year common. In fact, in other words, if if, if millions of women want it, if women want, if one woman wants it, doctors should show how to doc, doctors who are in school, future doctors should learn how to do abortion. All of them, even if only one woman in the entire country wants an abortion. It's that, I mean, common or uncommon, but her argument that it is common, therefore, uh, abortion should be a core learned skill in medical school. Now, I'm appalled that in North Carolina they can teach medical students how to perform abortions right now. Uh, I I have questions about whether or not that students do this as an elective or are they required to and you have to opt out. I am not clear about that. It appalls me a bit and scares me, frightens me, that they are graduating doctors that – will go on to work in hospitals who have no compunction about taking the life of an unborn because they're being desensitized. If they're in medical school and talking about abortion, pro-abortion, they're being desensitized to the humanity of the unborn child. And in case you were wondering, the Hippocratic Oath has been gone a long time ago. It's been, it's been years since... Anybody who was uh, a student in medical school was required to take the Hippocratic Oath. Now, you can take the Hippocratic Oath if you want to, if you so choose. But we are graduating classes and classes of medical students who don't have to. It is their choice whether they want to take it or not, take the oath or not. Um, my comment about all this commentary that Melissa Harris Perry, Ms. Tampon Earring Lady, has on this is is to point out something very interesting that 
pro-abortionists, abortion advocates, have been saying about the unborn for a very long time. Okay, so the fetus, unborn children, have long been compared to an appendix, like I had mentioned earlier. Um, it's uh, When it becomes an unnecessary part of your body, you can elect to have it taken out if something happens to it. Um, it's uh, The fetus has been compared to a tumor or a parasite. And but the interesting thing is if you are a doctor and you specialize in studying tumors and cancer, you're called an oncologist. You are called to do additional Doc, additional education to specialize in that field. Certainly, if you want to be a surgeon in order to remove tumors from the human body, you have to go to additional school. You have to first then learn to be a surgeon. It's a specialty. Not all doctors become surgeons. And so surgery is not a core skill, a basic core skill. Tumor removal is not a core skill. Parasite remover, removal sometimes is not a core skill if it's if it's a particularly difficult. So tumor and parasite removal is and surgery in general is not a core skill, but abortion somehow is. Now think about that for a moment. Doctors have to become surgeons because surgery is not considered a basic fundamental core skill. You have to be specially trained to do surgery. And tumors and parasites are considered uh treatable through special skills, not core skills, but somehow when talking about abortion, a fetus is somehow a tumor and a parasite that can be removed using basic core skills. Wrap your mind about that. Somebody is lying to you, ladies. Catch the inconsistency here. And it's not just an inconsistency. This type of argumentation, this type of talking about abortion is absolutely pedestrian. You ought to be completely offended and insulted that they think you're so stupid that you don't catch on. You ought to think about this and become very insulted by the way people like Melissa Harris-Perry and pro-abortion doctors treat you and treat your what they think is your lack of intelligence to understand what is really going on here. This is on television and they're insulting you right on TV. Heads up. Somebody's lying to you ladies and you need to realize that. But I want to talk about this core skill here. Um, you know, core skill is really a very relative thing. 
knowing how the tongue depressors may be a core skill. Knowing how to deliver shots is a core skill. Knowing how to treat people for colds and flus and and other conditions and illnesses and diagnosing them and et cetera, et cetera, is a core skill, of course. But really, when our culture preaches moral relativism, what is a core skill and what is not is a really flexible term. And let me tell you, what a core skill to one person may be a horror. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice candy. To another. Just look out, ladies and gentlemen. We tell you the truth here on True Life Fridays Radio. That unless you have an objective standard of right and wrong, and you know what it is and you can stick by it and you can defend it, somebody's always going to try to pull the wool over your eyes, especially on this issue where lives are on the line. Don't be fooled. And don't bow to the the prevailing media-driven narrative the prevailing media-driven narrative that you're in the minority and they know better than you. And, you know, that's that's pretty much all there is to the pro-abortion argument. They know better than you what you need. Uh, therefore, abortion should be legal because yada, yada, yada. You know, they can't answer the seven-pound baby question except to say anytime, anywhere, uh, any place. Uh, but they want you to think that they're so compassionate about it. Okay, last thing. Um, yesterday, yesterday was the was the Holocaust Remembrance Day, and we wanted to. I wanted to take a moment to call attention to that, and I was going to play a clip about how lots of Americans today are not educated, but it was a long clip and there was too many pauses in it, and I really wanted to edit it down. We might pick that up next week and talk about more about the Holocaust Remembrance, but I did want to, because this is an occasion that is close to us this week, remember, for what we have these things for, the horrors of life, abortion, slavery, uh, sex trafficking, Holocaust, genocide, everything they're all related, and it is a pro-life issue, and I want to bring out that remembering the 6 million Jews, the 5 million to 6 million non-Jews, and I'm talking blacks, homosexuals, disabled, uh, people of Slavic origin, uh, gypsy origin, uh, and other religious people that opposed the Nazi regime during World War II were executed. 11 to 12 million people were executed for the ideals of the Nazi party in Germany. And this is the greatest Holocaust of the 20th century. We need to remember why we went to war war in World War II. We need to remember why D-Day happened, and it happened in Normandy, France. We need to be able to identify who were the Axis powers, who were the Allied powers. And we most importantly need to understand why remembering the Holocaust is so important. Because if we forget, collect, if we have this collective amnesia that is being foisted on us in our public schools, lack of education, lack of discussion, it will happen again. 
and it is happening again. We don't get to talk about what ISIS is doing to Christians often enough, but we are going to hit that in a future show. But let me make mention, a brief mention of it now. It is happening. We're not hearing about it, just like we didn't hear about it during World War II, that Jews were being gassed, thousands a day were being gassed. We didn't hear about the disabled and the mentally, dis- mentally disabled being shot and shoved out of third-story windows in a collective culling process in Germany. We didn't hear about this until way after it happened. But we are now hearing about a lot more of Christians being slaughtered by the sword with a bullet to the back of the brain, uh, by beheading, raped and murdered and, and bombed and killed, and etc., knife to death. Maybe a little sooner than we learned about what happened to the Jews in World War II. But let us pray and let us pray for deliverance and freedom from this and an end to the ideologies that make this happen. It doesn't matter what it is. Nazi, Nazi ideology, ISIS ideology, Islamic ideology. It's all may, making this possible. Another Holocaust is taking place here in America with the unborn. It's happening right now in real time. I don't want people to become numb to that as much as I think we already are. But we will continue on this program to continue to remind people that what we consider horrors of the past are horrors of today. There is no substantive difference. And when we remember the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust in, in, the, in I'm sorry, in 1944, when we invaded and we found out about it, the same way we look at what look at that yesterday is how we need to look at the Holocaust happening today. Um, real quick. The Nazi Holocaust of Jews in the 1940s is not the only one. The early 1900s saw the Armenian Holocaust, I'm sorry, the Armenian Holocaust at the hands of Turkish Islamists. That's how you want to talk. Turkish Muslims. Two million. Two million Armenian Christians died in Turkey. And that is by, I mean, we can talk about six million Jews that are slaughtered in Germany. And that's not a political issue. Somehow, you know, our United States has 10 very tense relations with Turkey. And we're not allowed to talk about their genocide of Christians in the early 1900s. We're not. And our own government will chastise people for bringing it up. Amazing. It's just amazing to me. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. I'm I'm amazed that we can't talk about certain things. <laughs> I shouldn't be amazed, should I? No, I shouldn't. But um so this is our remembrance. Talk about that. And take to heart what does never again mean? Never again means never again for a while, I think. Uh that's what it seems to have meant so far. I hope and I pray for America to be aware of history, 
to be aware of the atrocities because we will repeat them. We are right now. We will repeat them in the future. And it will absolutely astonish you how easy it is. I don't want us to be at that place, America. And part of the efforts that we are making right now is to educate you and to give you the tools that, we, that you need to be able to recognize this and to oppose it, deeply questioning people's ideas that cause you to think that other people, by class, by race, by gender, by whatever, are not worthy of the life that they already have. And that is the basic core pro-life. So um, in the time we have left, we're going to go and finish up with the stupidest thing ever because 2016 is coming Let's get on with that. Hey, this is not first class. Chelsea Clinton, who is out stumping for her mother's presidential campaign, which was launched early this week. And this is what she said when she was asked, why should anybody vote for Hillary Clinton? What significance would that hold? And her answer is, and let me quote, and so when you ask about the importance of having a woman president, absolutely it's important for, yes, Symbolic reasons. Symbols are important. It is important who and what we choose to elevate and to celebrate. And one of our core values in this country is that we have kind of equal opportunity. But when equal hasn't yet included gender, there is a fundamental challenge there that I believe having our first woman president, whenever that is, will help resolve so in other words my mother should be president because it would just look good similarly to Barack Obama should be the first black president of the United States because it would look good ladies and gentlemen if you haven't been living under the rock for the last six and a half years you know that our economy in this country and the state of life and our foreign relations has been an absolute disaster because we voted symbolic people into office, not actual leaders. So my, you know, for, I, I, you know, I like, I like to, pl- I'm a people pleaser in this way. Okay, just for this occasion, I want to please Chelsea Clinton, and I would love to give Hillary Clinton, Clinton. A, a position in this country. And so I would propose this. We need to amend the Constitution to create an office of the symbolic president of the United States. And I would happily, symbolically, elect Hillary Clinton to be our first 
symbolic president of the United States. SPOTUS. Or SPOTUS. I think that sounds appropriate. I think she would serve very well in that symbolic office so that she can be a symbol and not actual. You know, I'm pulling for her 100%. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us on True Life Fridays Radio. It's been a pleasure. Next week, I I will be out of town, but we will have something for you then. I want to show you... um, and then over the next few weeks, yeah, <laughs> a semblance of a Thomas on air, uh, just to show you what's happening in, um, in pro-life land and how this relates to you over the long haul in the next few weeks. I'm lining up some interviews that you're going to absolutely love. Please stay with us. And... In the next few weeks, it's going to be wonderful, and I hope you're educating yourself, not just using this show to talk about commentary on on political issues and pro life issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You are you are the the reason for being, and hopefully the next generation too coming after you. So thanks everybody for joining us for True Life Fridays Radio. I'm your host Letitia Wong, and what am I going to play? What going out here? What am I gonna play? What do you what should I play? All right, here we go. We're gonna play this. Have a good night, everybody, and we will see you next week on True Life Fridays Radio. Live so long with my eyes on me.
the city streets, but I can hear that you're calling me to be the hope, be the 